Hello and welcome to another episode of the Tacona Morning Drive podcast. This episode I am joined by the fantastic John Markar. Now some of you may have come across John and I before when I went and did the Driven Chat podcast hosted by himself and Amy Shaw. Uh, John is a fantastic guy with some amazing history within the automotive world. I'm not going to spoil it for you now but have a good old listen as me and John sit down and go through all things cars, all things podcasts and all things events. There's your little hint for the podcast. See you there. Easy. I'm going to click record now. Okay. I'm giving you a heads up that this is casual. Yeah. So don't feel like we need to have any sort of proper structure or anything like that. Cool. It's the idea behind this is to kind of lead by example in conversation. It's not to be a high production thing like you do. It's supposed cool. to be a quite casual, relaxed yeah. chin wag between two people that kind of know each other. Cool. It's an opportunity to kind of get to know each other a bit better. Sounds good. And it's a way for people that might not have necessarily heard of you or what you do to have a bit more insight into who you are and what you do, which is cool. why when we were texting, I said, don't tell me anything because we'll explore it as yeah. best we can. And it, it's a... Uh, kind of lead by example that's the reason that I'm doing it it's leads by example on this is how to have conversations with people nice and this is how it goes so obviously we're here in the uh, the driven chat studio so to speak yeah. we're not in talk radio's HQ because that's in the center of London <laughs> and that's a pain in the ass to get to very fortunately Coventry's not very far yeah so we're up here um, I'm joined with um, by with by by uh, John Markar, um, who, if anyone's listened to the Driven Chat, will recognise your voice. Well, maybe. Fingers yeah. crossed there, you do enough stuff. Well, thank you. It's very flattering as well, saying this This won't be as professional as your outfit, but I, I don't regard ours as professional at all. I just see it as we, we rock up and wing our way through it, which is basically the metaphor for my life. Well, I, I think <laughs> that's probably the metaphor for most people's yeah. lives. Like, I remember, so I was very kindly on the Driven Chat podcast, and we were at Caffeine and Machine to record it. And it was the same day that you recorded with uh, Richard Porter, who is yes, it was, quite yeah. a well-known guy. Yeah. And um, we were up there on that particular day because he was doing the I Love You Man, which is actually this afternoon. Yes, you're here to do that as well. I'm, uh, I'm going up to CNM. It's with David Gandhi, actually. It's, yeah, I've nice been privileged, privileged enough to be invited just yet. Um, <laughs> but we were stood in Caffeine and Machine in the bar, and there was yourself, Amy Shaw... Alex Goy, Richard Porter and me. Yeah. And I had one of those moments where I was like, how have I ended up here? Like, <laughs> these are all professionals from the automotive industry. And then I just draw things and throw them on T-shirts. And I, I've had um, Alex on the podcast previously and he said, I think I was feeling the same thing. Like, how have I ended up here? These are all proper professionals. And I just write things for mm. like journals and magazines and things. And this kind of perception of, oh, we just bumbling through life and hoping to keep on moving forward seems to be a universal feeling. Like I think so, and I, I think anyone that says otherwise is often worth worrying about. Because yeah. I, I, you know, I, I, I suffer from catastrophic imposter syndrome at times. And where I'm in an environment where younger me, like 13-year-old me, would have been absolutely elated with the idea of doing some of the things that I do, driving press cars, interviewing some of the most incredible people in the world of motoring and motorsport, presenting on a radio show, you know, occasionally doing some presenting stuff that makes its way onto TV. 
but then the time comes where I'm, I'm there in the thick of it. I'm like, what on earth am I doing here? You know, like, this yeah. is not right. So I'm, I'm waiting constantly for somebody to come and tap me on the shoulder and go, oh, uh, sorry, you're, you're, you're not, not supposed, supposed to, be. to be here. It's a bit like, yeah. you know, checking into a beautiful hotel. And they're going, oh, yes, sir, you're in, the, uh, you're in the presidential suite. And you get there going, oh, my God, this is brilliant. But am I supposed to be here? And then the little knock comes on the door. Sorry, sir, you're actually in uh, the basement. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that, that's... Up. That's, I, I, th- I do think it's a common thing. I think many people feel the same way and I think it's quite a refreshing thing to remind people of that and I like to remind people of it. I, it's a bit like the, I find myself saying it on, on our podcast a lot, which is that I have no qualifications to be doing what I do professionally, none. Yeah. And I know that, again, if I think back to 13-year-old me that would have been like, oh my God, what do I want to be when I grow up? Um, there might have been this big panic if somebody said, oh, one day you're going to be doing this, this, this and this. I'd be thinking, oh, right, I've got to go and get all those qualifications. I've got to get the best grades in the world. But it's just not the case. You know, if you've got the drive and you've got the enthusiasm and the desire to do what you want to do, chances are you'll get there. Yeah, yeah. And I'm very much in a in a similar boat, even as recently as today. Um, I, a photo got sent over to me from Haggerty mm. from the hill climb either last weekend or the weekend before, time is moving far too quickly at the moment. <laughs> I'm getting closer to 30, so time speeds up. Oh, yeah. Um, and it was a photo of me on the racing simulator at the hill climb that they did at Chelsea Walsh. Yeah. And behind me is a Lancia 037. Nice. And it's, it's a, for once, I actually look well put together in this photo. I'm, <laughs> I've not been caught off guard. I'm not pulling a silly face. I actually look all right. And I had this moment this morning. I was like, if you'd have asked me five years ago what I think I'm going to be doing in the mm. grand scheme of things sitting at a hill climb that i was invited to for what i do within the automotive world whilst there is a lance euro 37 sat behind <laughs> me and it being like shared by like the likes of Haggerty wouldn't have been on my radar of no. you might be doing this and i i don't do tacona full-time yet it would be nice but it, it's not there yet but just to be within the automotive sphere where i am now childhood me would be like what is going on like that's amazing we'd never expected anything to yeah. to lead in that direction as much as kind of like i wanted to be a car designer as a kid which is where the tacona name came from and all mm. that sort of thing i never expected to be working in any sense within the car world let alone designing clothing that is then within yeah. the automobile like i'm not a car designer but it's not that far off when no, it's like it. i design things that go on clothes that are cars <laughs> <laughs> but it's one of those where you kind of have to stop and smell the roses from time to time and go, you do. this it's is important. wild. <laughs> yeah, it's important to look back. And that's one thing I often find myself having to, having to remind myself of, is that it can be so easy to get caught up in the thick of working life sometimes, especially in the creative field. Like we, you know, we, we, like many others in our industry, we're all quite creative people. We all work in a creative field. And sometimes when you're constantly creating or you're producing or you're editing or you're aspiring to do bits it can be very hard to just take a step back from the canvas take a few steps back and go oh actually i've painted quite a nice picture there yeah <laughs> that's yeah. actually quite impressive um and then even more so and yeah when you know if if like me people suffer from a bit of uh, imposter syndrome or they have some self-doubt sometimes it can't sometimes it's not until many weeks months years later i look back on things i've done and gone oh actually that was that was quite good well, case in point, on Facebook, as recently as what, today, yesterday, you shared the photos from when you did the uh, the gumball, didn't you? Oh, gosh. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, a photo of 20, 23, 24-year-old me, um, and maybe slightly older. 
but anyway, mid to late, mid, uh, early to mid twenties. Yeah, me as a as a, a an exhausted event organizer for Gumball Three Thousand. Yeah, um, which like- is a perfect example of that. At the time, it's just. It is an absolute firefight the whole time. You're just going around fighting one fire to another fire and you're thinking in your head, is this massive live production that I'm putting on actually working? Because in my head it feels like a complete disaster. <laughs> and then, yeah, you skip forward a few weeks or a few months, you look back at the footage, the, the photos, the videos, and you're like, oh, right, okay. Yes, it was chaotic and disastrous in my head at the time. Because it was, you know, it was very stressful. But the show went on and it was a great success. Yeah. So yeah, and it's it's one of those like life experiences that you kind of oh, I appreciate how tough that was because oh, I completely yeah. fought through it and at the end oh, it was it was it was great and it's it's probably quite a inspirational memory for when you get into the thick of something in the future you go this is really challenging this is really difficult mm. and then you kind of look back and go oh, I made it through that and I, I did that difficult mm. thing and life didn't stop so it won't stop we'll just keep keep moving forward yeah um, so that probably brings us quite nicely into so John. <laughs> who are you and what do you do? Who am I? Good question. I was hoping somebody might tell me. Uh, who am I? I am a, uh, I'm a, 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 I guess primarily a um, production manager is my official job title um, from the people that pay me a salary. So I produce content. I make content for a weekly podcast. Um, I present and host on that podcast as well as a radio show that goes out on TalkSport 2. I um, am a writer, so I write articles and stories and reviews on cars and events and things. Um, what else do I do? Uh, primarily, I mean, for many years, I was an event organiser, so that's I still regard that as my trade. Right. I uh, I started out as a a wishful um, event organiser, whilst running various other day jobs. Um, and again, like I said before, no qualifications to be doing anything I do now. So of course, I've taken the long route to get to where I am. Uh, but the passion has always been cars. And I've always loved cars ever since I was tiny. I think like most people, there was, been a, there was a big influence that came from dad and, and just wanting to be in and around cars. Uh, I got completely captivated by motoring events as a child. So things like Goodwood Festival of Speed and Revival, I can remember going to those as a child and just watching this, this spectacle going on. And I became fascinated by the, the whole kind of creation of it, the people behind it more so or equally as much, I should say, as uh, watching a race or watching cars drive up the hill. It was kind of like, no, but somebody's put this together. And this, this, is, a, this is a thing. It was a bit like if I'd go to a theatre production as a child or a pantomime at Christmas, I'd be as fascinated by what was happening backstage as what was happening on the stage because somebody had come up with this. So, um, so yeah, for me, it all started as a bit of a, a happy accident, really. Myself and a few friends in a pub um at uh, barely uh, barely beyond teenage years all of us working day jobs um everything from retail to call centers to uh, you name it and we all had a real passion for uh, track days and that's where it all started i was going on track days with friends we were paying somebody else to go on an event and enjoy the day and then we all sort of clubbed together and went well hang on if we were to hire a track or a circuit and pay the fee for hiring that we could then potentially sell some spaces to our mates and have our own track day. And that's exactly what we did. And we started a track day company. So that was called Mazda on Track. And in fact, the, the company itself was started by a very good friend of mine, Alistair Clark. And we, myself and Alistair, um, a couple of other guys, Nick and Eddie, we kind of threw together these events, very small scale events. Um, again, typical man maths in a pub. We worked out that the Mazda MX-5 was the most 
common sports car on British roads, so we thought, well, we'll cater for them. And, and Mazda on Track was born. So, yeah, we started doing that. Um, I mean, I was very much an accessory to that business for the vast majority of the time because, again, I was still trying to get my head in the door in other events of or other areas of events, I should say. Um, but that, yeah, that sort of that lit the fire for me. I realised, no, I really like this world. I like creating the event. I like looking after people. I like to make sure that people are having a good time. And and, and that was that. So yeah, from that world, um, I guess the thing that I never ever could have predicted or f- or foreseen was just how interlinked and how small the motoring world is. Yeah. So from helping out on track days and planning track days and running the occasional driving event, I'd suddenly started networking with motoring journalists, with other people in the events industry, people in PR and marketing, car manufacturers. And then before you know it, people start saying, oh, well, look, you can organise that event for your track day. Do you want to have a go at organising this for us? And then before you know it, I was kind of running all sorts of weird and wonderful events. And yeah, I guess the big break for me came along in, obviously, (laughs) chopping out a huge huge part of the story but it's this all, all the mundane day-to-day stuff but yeah the the long story short i i befriended a chap called tim hutton who to this day is one of my best friends in the world um met him at the nurburgring at the time he was writing for a couple of magazines and uh tim's history was that he used to work for gumball 3000 so the, the big world famous motoring event as a graphic designer and tim was at a chapter in his life where he had moved away from gumball he'd gone and set up a a nice life on the south coast but then due to various circumstances decided he wanted to go back into it he wanted to go back to london back into the world of events and back into the world of gumball and tim sent me a message or, or gave me a phone call and said oh by the way I'm, I'm, I'm getting a job back at gumball and they're looking for a new events guy would you be interested in being put forward so i was like i mean God, I, I, yeah like i was delighted to the <laughs> to be considered uh, but thought it'd be just that um so I threw my hat into the ring. Next thing I knew, I was sat in an office in Notting Hill with Maximilian Cooper and his sister, Lucinda. Um, and then a few days later, they were offering me a job. And that was my first full-time events job. That was my big break into the world of yeah. car events. That was the first time I was able to walk away from mundane jobs like working in call centres for a travel company. Um, just, yeah, stuff that I always knew in the back of my mind was my, this will do for now, whilst I'm working on the bigger picture. Um, and that was that. So, so yeah, so as of 20, end of 2012, early, to, end, early 2013, I became an event organiser. Um, a professional paid event organiser <laughs> with Gumball. And, uh, yeah, I did that for a few years. And that was it, really. From that point onwards, the world just opened up to me. It was... Um, Again, networking was, was always the way to do it. It was always the way that the opportunities came. It was just meeting people yeah. and getting opportunities with interesting people from, from there on in, really. So, yeah, primarily I am an event organiser that has somehow blagged his way through life and now the world of production, um, making content and videos and podcasts and radio shows all around my favourite subject, which is cars. Well, that's amazing. Like, it's, it's really inspirational for other people that are maybe like, I love cars and I'd love to be mm. part of the car world and like for me personally I was never of the thought that I could ever enter the car world in that mm. way and then you go oh, I'll give this a go I'll yeah. give that a go and I'll try this and I'll try that and bit by bit this happens and that happens and you start to dip your toe in here and things just kind of start moving towards like oh I'm kind of you 
create your own destiny, so to speak. Mm. Like, and it's really inspirational for someone that's very fresh into the car world, mm. such as myself, and not necessarily going into, right, I'm going to go and work in the car world. I'm making life even harder for myself. I'm going, I'm going to create something new yeah. in the car world. And, oh, let's not just make life easy and go, well, let's find a job and then see where that job goes. I'm going, right, let's try and make something from scratch and try and find a job. And mm. do. <laughs> but to hear that it, it is as everybody hopes. Like, you go to the events, you meet the people, you network, you make friends, you enjoy what you do, and it leads to opportunities, and it leads to working in a in a career that you quite clearly enjoy mm. with something that you're passionate about. For anybody that's been like, oh, I have no idea how to get into the car world. I'd love it, but I have no idea. It's, well, just go and try. Go and find something. Exactly that. Try it. Just start off small and try and find something new. Like, when you start events management, we've got, next weekend there'll be five. In August there'll be seven coffees and cars mornings. Mm. And I had no idea what I was doing with these. And yeah. quite fortunately, I don't have to run all of them. Like The way that I, I've actually done something quite clever and partnered with people who know what they're doing. Brilliant. So <laughs> That's the other secret. <laughs> that is, always get someone that knows what they're doing <laughs> yeah. to do the bit that you don't know, which seems to yeah. be the, the key to it all. Um, but I, I've never, up until last year, this coming Sunday is one year anniversary of the first one. Great. Up until last year, I had never put together a car meet. Mm. Now, technically, there's five that all happen at the same time. Mm -hmm. And the one that we started has around 200 cars come every month. Wow. And it's one of those where, until you go, oh, let's have a go. Yeah. You have no idea what it's going to be like. And you you could go and study events management at uni, and you could still never kind of find the passion for it in the same way that someone goes, oh, let's see how it goes. Yeah, like, yeah. And there's a real kind of heartwarmingness, if that's even a word, to that kind of, oh, let's have a go and see what happens. And it also kind of takes a bit of the pressure off because you go, well, it might fail because I don't know what I'm doing. Yes. So if it doesn't go the way that you'd hoped, you go, well, it's probably because I don't know what I'm doing. Absolutely. But I'll have another go. And that's fine. That's it. Because everyone started doing everything without any plan. Yeah. Or, or they might have had an idea of how it was going to go and a hope, an aspiration of how it's going to go. But you can't predict how things are going to pan out. You can plan to the nth degree. But in the world of events... You can never predict what's going to happen if people are going to show up. What's the weather going to be like? Is it going to be a good event? Is something going to go wrong? You know, all these things go around in your head. But the great thing about live events, my favourite thing about live events, is that the saying I use time and time again, it's a great metaphor for life actually, is the show must go on or the show will go on because it has to. And this is what I always used to say. I ended up saying after my first and second year at Gumball, and I then started building up a bit of an events team, I used to say this in my, in my briefing to the events team beforehand, is the show will go on, despite the fact if it feels like everything's on fire and everything's falling apart, the show must go on because it has to go on. Yeah. And it's exactly the same. Like every element of life, at times where I feel really kind of stressed and overwhelmed and overworked and things seem to be going wrong in personal life or with finances, the show will go on. Because it has to. Yeah. You can't just stop. And in the same way that if you're running a big event or a big production, you can't just go, oh, you know, oh this is actually really hard. Just going to stop. Can everyone go home, please? Because everyone would be really upset. Yeah. You've just got to kind of crack on with it. And yeah, that's it's the, the best way to operate, really. I, I'm always fascinated. I, I, I often think back to my first few big events and I think about that, the level of nerves and apprehension that I had. 
And then I compare that to the kind of that feeling of pride and relief in equal measures of when you realise you get to that point in your event where you're like, oh, actually, this is all right. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. People are having a good time. Nobody's died. Everything's yeah, not, yeah. Nothing's actually on fire. No, okay. exactly <laughs> that. Exactly that. But I still get nervous to this day, you know, with any kind of event. I'm organising a, a, like a filming day next week. We're celebrating 50 years of BMW M. So we've partnered with a big BMW dealership, Part- Partridge BMW in Hampshire. They provided a load of cars for us. We're doing some bits at Thruxton. And I've got this day mapped out, but I'm still a nervous wreck that something's going to go wrong. I know that it won't. I know that it'll be a success, but yeah, I still get nervous about it, even to this day. That's testament to the pride that you put into what you do. Because if you Maybe, didn't yeah. care, that would probably be more concerning. Because you'd be like, yeah, yeah, oh well. Yeah, that's very and then true. You're not putting your heart and your soul into what you're doing. It's when you're putting your, your pride and your ego and your passion and everything is kind of on the line. It's yeah. because you care that much that you'll yeah, get completely. nervous about it and you'll get that anxious feeling in your stomach before it all starts because yeah, you're yeah. like i really want this to go right because you really care about it going that's right. it and again that's that's again great metaphors for life isn't it people get nervous about certain things chances are you're nervous as you say because you want it to be right you want it to be good you want it to be something you're going to be proud of whether that's a something you're creating like a work of art or an event or a job interview you know you you're nervous for a good reason and that's because you want it to go well yeah and there's a certain irony in the the nerves that you feel especially say we'll take a job interview for an example mm. if you're not nervous you'll probably perform better but you're nervous because yeah. you want to perform well and it's a real like if you don't care you probably shouldn't be going for the job but yeah. you will perform better in the interview like yeah. there's this real kind of bittersweet irony in it all that well it might go a bit smoother because i don't care so i'm not going to get knocked at, you're mm. not going to get sideswiped as easily but because I don't care, I probably don't really need to be doing this. Or I shouldn't really be going forward for it yeah. because I don't care. <laughs> like, That's it. And I don't think you should ever be afraid of nerves. I don't think you should ever be, definitely shouldn't be ashamed of nerves either. I'd much rather, it's been quite interesting, of course, the past few years. I've run my own companies. I've run a, a car touring company for a bit. Um, I say for a bit, for about three and a half years, where we were drive, <laughs> taking people all over the world in their own cars doing these driving tours. So it got to the point where I was hiring people. You know, I was a company director. There were people coming in for job interviews. And I much preferred it when people came in and kind of confessed their nerves. Because at that point, I was like, right, good. Well, I know you want the job. Yeah. Whereas if people rock up and they're kind of a bit cocksure and they're walking in going, oh, yeah, no, this will be a breeze. We're walking the park. I've done loads of stuff like this before and it was really easy. Um, then I'd be kind of like, ah, I don't know if you're... Yeah, yeah, the one for it. So yeah, I'd always say to people, if you are nervous, it's actually worth saying it. It's actually worth sharing it because to me, and I think to the vast majority of people, it points that it indicates that you actually you care about it, and therefore you want it to go well. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And that's a great kind of takeaway for anyone that might feel anxious and yeah. might be going into something that they're not necessarily certain about. Is well, that's okay. Mm. Don't be scared of feeling like that. That's perfectly normal. Yeah, yeah. It's it's completely fine to feel nervous. Just don't don't run away from that feeling. Otherwise, you'll never get anywhere. That's exactly because it, it's that bravery to overcome the difficulty yeah, that yeah. really is the test of character. Um, so to kind of bring things into cars a little bit more, mm. what are you driving? I am driving. Uh, so I, <laughs> I currently own. It's a car I've owned for the longest period of time to date, which is a BMW Z3 M Coupe which is quite an unusual little thing. And there'll be people that might be listening to this who will know exactly what that is and will picture it perfectly in the head. And there will be others that will go, a what? Um, so yeah, it's effectively a, a small, if you picture a BMW Z3, which I think everyone in the world knows what they look like, uh, but it's the 
it's the version that has a roof yeah. and a rear body. So, so the Americans call it a shooting brake. Um, I mean, ironically, it's called a M coupe, despite the fact that it's not a coupe because it does actually have a hatchback. <laughs> Um, but yeah, very strange thing that ended up finding its way to the UK from Japan. Wow. Um, I went to look, uh, it's a, it's a terrible story really, cause it paints a, a picture of me that makes me sound far more successful and wealthy than I am. <laughs> but I went to go and look at a Ferrari 550 Maranello that a guy had for sale in West London. He had a very peculiar business, nice chap called Bill. He had a very peculiar business where all he did was import really interesting cars from Japan and very few of them were Japanese cars. So he had this unit and he had everything from Mercedes SELs to uh, loads of really cool BMW products. He had GT2 Porsches. He had every variant of 911 you can imagine. And uh, as well as a selection of Italian sports cars and supercars, we had a few Ferraris, a few Lamborghinis. And um, yeah, I went to look at this 550 Maranello, which was way under market value as a lot of the Japanese import cars are. But I remember at the time thinking, if I buy that car, the 550 Maranello, by the way, is one of my absolute all-time favourite cars. If I buy that car, though, I will be broke. It will empty my bank account. And uh, I will basically spend all the years that I have with that car hoping it doesn't break down. And being an Italian Ferrari, I hope I'm not spoiling any... uh, any illusions or dreams for anyone here, they're not that reliable. They, they do have a tendency to break down. So I did some proper, some proper man maths and decided I wouldn't buy the 550 Marinello despite the fact that I loved it. Uh, but instead, Bill had imported also, along with this Ferrari, this white uh, Z3M Coupe. This was in 2016, and I just absolutely fell in love with it. It was on slick tyres, it had a roll cage, it had bucket seats... Um, really posh coilovers. It was on T37, um, Ray's Engineering Volks wheels. I was like, oh my God, that thing's the coolest thing I've ever seen. It was left-hand drive, which is like the cool thing to do in Japan. If your car's from a left-hand drive country, you spec it in left-hand drive. Um, And I bought it. And uh, yeah, so since 2016, that has been the longest I've owned a car. I've had a collection of bizarre cars. Um, Before then, since then. um, But yeah, that that is my current toy. It's a very cool toy to have, though. Yeah. I think it is hilariously ironic that you have a left-hand drive one that came from Japan. <laughs> as soon as you go, oh, it's from Japan, everyone goes, oh, great, because they're right-hand drive. You exactly go, that. Not this one. It yeah, might not, as well have come from Germany. Not this one. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah, it's, and it's much the same for many Ferraris, Lamborghinis, um, Porsche products that come over from Japan. You'll find a lot of them in left-hand drive. And it's the only reason is because it's the cool thing to do. Because it's a left-hand drive car originally, yeah, so they have to have it, it. left-hand. Because a lot of, like, yeah. there's the the whole thing with the Yakuza all have Mercedes. Yeah. And they all have them left-hand drive because yeah. they're left-hand drive cars originally. And That's it. It's a, a very, not like a cultural thing, but it's a, the done thing over there. Isn't it, it is, yeah. And yeah. it's always bafflingly interesting <laughs> to find out, it's like... Yes, but it's so practically like yeah. redundant to do. Just buy one in Germany if you really want a left-hand drive <laughs> one. Put D-plates on it if you really have to do it. And then just have that. <laughs> but it's true. To specifically go, no, it has to be left-hand drive. Yeah. It's hilarious. It's a bizarre, it is a bizarre thing. At one point, I had that. Um, at the time that I was running, so the car tour company that I was running was called Classic Grand Touring, um, which for me all went away in the pandemic as you... You may be surprised to learn a, a, a car touring company, travel and hospitality company through the pandemic wasn't great. The company lives on, but I decided to um, to throw my hat in in 2020. But yeah, within that period of time, 
uh, the majority of our events that we were running and our tours were in France. And we had this wonderful, one of the best cars in the world, Citroen C5 Estate. Lovely. Um, which was just the most insanely comfortable, hilarious car ever because it cost us nothing. It cost nothing to run. It ran on diesel, did about 700 miles to a tank of diesel. And it was great. But it was an English registered right-hand drive Citroen C5. So, And then at the time in the UK, I had my Z3 M Coupe, which was left-hand drive. Uh, in a bizarre wave of insanity, I decided to buy an imported Dodge Ram 1500 pickup truck, which, of course, was also left-hand drive. Uh, and they were my only two cars in the UK. So I was driving in the UK a left-hand drive truck and a left-hand drive M Coupe, and then doing the majority of my work in France in a right-hand drive English registered <laughs> Citroen. And, yeah, there were a few times where I'd be like, crossing the ferry going... I've got this wrong. Yeah, you've got it the exact wrong <laughs> got way around. The wrong way around. Uh, yeah, but um, oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, that's uh, that. That gives you a very gl- a very very brief glimpse uh, snapshot into my taste in cars, which is quite strange. But it's interesting, which is more. Important. <laughs> yeah. it, you, you don't have a dull moment with an interesting car history. No, like, that's right. Even that's right. the the two cars we've technically got three between us, but one of them's a Skoda Rapid, which is basically a Volkswagen Polo. Mm. The other two are interesting cars, and as much as they are an absolute pain in the backside, there is <laughs> never a dull drive in them. No, that's it. Yeah. Like the Toyota, which is going in for a service tomorrow, it is forever. What's that sound? Because really? it is a, a it's a louty modified Japanese sports car. Yeah, and inherently because everything is bolted on. You don't trust any of it. And because <laughs> it's got a Subaru engine, you don't trust that. The bit of the Toyota that you kind of would want because it's reliable, they went, no, we won't do that bit. We'll keep the Subaru bit. <laughs> so it's forever like, oh, what's that sound? Is that something new? Yeah. Have I just gone over a stone? What's that noise? But then at the same time, once you get in the right moment, it's amazing. Like, yeah, if yeah. you're on like a, a nice wide B road with some real good twists and turns into it, all of that just dissipates. And yeah, if you've got the true. windows down with the stupid, loud, modified exhaust it's got, <laughs> it's just like it's real sweet spot. Yeah. And then the, the same with the, the bloody Renault that's currently got a, cla- a snapped clutch cable. Oh, no. It costs 500 quid. So I expect really? these things. Yeah, I got Last year as well. It was the cheapest classic car in the UK with an MOT. Uh. I got very lucky that it was 10 miles away. <laughs> but it, it cost me 500 quid. It's a 1.15 door. It's like the least desirable Renault 5 because it's not the turbo it's got the smallest engine and the most weight but it's brilliant because you just don't care Mm. you can throw it at everything you can do 50 everywhere because that's about as fast as it will (laughs) go and if something breaks it costs about 20p to replace it like I got a new clutch cable from Amazon yesterday for £15 (laughs) and it'll take me about 10 minutes to fit it like perfect but these are the things that you have to live with when you have interesting, interesting cars. cars. Yeah, that's very true. Is the days where you have to learn how to drive with no clutch whilst on a country road with a yeah. BMW X5 up behind you. <laughs> because that's what happens when you drive yeah. an interesting car. That's true. But it, there's a certain amount of, that's the point. Oh, completely. If everything went right all the time, you'd have no interest in stories. No, that's absolutely right. I say this all the time to people. You know, we, there is absolutely no reason, really, for any of us to have an interesting car. We could all drive a Nissan Micra, and it would do the job that we need a car to do. Yeah. You know, unless, okay, if you've had a thousand children, perhaps not quite the most practical car. But if it's, you know, you and a partner that require a car to go to work, require a car to go shopping, a Nissan Micra is probably all you need. Yeah. But we don't, <laughs> because 
we decide, you know, we, we tell ourselves that we want something special and exciting. It doesn't have to be something that costs a million pounds. It can be a 500 pound classic Renault. Yeah. It's just something else that makes you go, ah, that's fun, isn't it? It's just that it brings a little bit of joy into yeah. what would normally be a very mundane exercise, yeah. which is commuting to work or going to Tesco's. Or yeah. You get a real sense of fun from something that should be boring. Yeah. And that little Renault is one of my favourite things in the world. And not because I enjoy driving it as much as I do, and not because it's quirky and everybody looks at it as much as they do, because it is teaching my other half how to drive an old car. Great. Which is a hilarious experience. <laughs> so I've had probably four phone calls from the Tesco Click and Collect, <laughs> where it starts with, they've had to roll me out the bay again because I can't get the car to start. Oh, and then no. within about five minutes, I've taught her how to get it to start again. Yeah, yeah. And it's this amazing experience of someone that's never had to deal with an old car, yeah. d- never knew what a choke was, has now been thrust into this world by yeah, me, yeah, yeah. learning how to run and live with an old car. <laughs> and we, there's a brilliant kind of irony in that she hates it, but she loves it at the same time, because mm. it's just drama. And it's that excitement and that energy and the passion and... It gives the car personality. And yeah. Tesco runs are normally quite a mundane thing. I did mine this <laughs> afternoon and it was, I took her car to Tesco, got the shopping, came home, nothing interesting. Whereas when she gets to go and do it, she gets a bit of excitement <laughs> because it's the Renault and anything could happen. Um, but I imagine you've probably got a few wild stories from all of these different kind of events and tours oh, gosh, and gumball and that sort of thing. Where to start? I mean, yeah, lots, lots and lots. There was, yeah, I mean, I think back to track days that we used to run and um, I, of course, took a vested interest in improving my driving ability because occasionally you get somebody that would come along and want to improve their lap times or their their driving lines. Um, So I ended up doing some quite intensive training uh, with a really brilliant guy called Steve Lewis and he, he taught me some... Some great bits and pieces. In fact, Steve is an ARDS grade S instructor, so all but granted a full race license once he was happy with what I was able to offer to other people. Um, teaching people to drive on track is, a, is an interesting thing because it's either the best thing in the world or the most terrifying thing in the world. Yeah, you're putting a lot of trust um, in a stranger. Really. A lot, yeah, an awful lot. Um, the Without wanting to bring out too many sexist stereotypes, um, <laughs> I used to absolutely love uh, teaching and uh, tutoring women and girls in the car uh, over guys because typically, and I use that word um, strongly, typically guys and girl, um, girls uh, and women in cars tend to listen. Yeah, They were very happy to be taught. And the vast majority of blokes that would turn up to our track days been driving, doesn't matter if they've been driving five minutes or 50 years, they know best. And <laughs> I've been driving these cars all my life. I know how to drive them. Um, so, yeah, that was always an experience. Uh, it's wild that they then ask for instruction. Because, oh, you know best, you don't need this. Yeah, a lot of the times. Yeah, yeah, we used to, you know, you'd politely say to people, hey, do you want me to just jump in with you five minutes, show you where, you're, show, show you where we can improve your lines? No, 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 I don't need to do any of that. I've been driving on track for years. Um, so, yeah, many, uh, <laughs> many a story there. But, um, yeah, I don't know if there's any that are jumping out. But yeah, I guess, I, I mean, all the big stories, big adventures probably came later in life with things like Gumball. Um, it's very, very difficult to pinpoint stories because, of course, there are just so many of them. But yeah, travelling the world with hundreds of cars at a time and hundreds of entrants at a time um, on what is regarded as the biggest and most glamorous moving motoring event in the world. 
um, yeah, that came with some adventures. It came with some stress, um, getting stuck between borders. Uh, yeah, my very first rally, 2013, was Copenhagen to Monaco. And on the first physical day of the event, the idea was that we were driving from Copenhagen. Um, I know, it would have been the second day because we'd gone across to Finland. So we were driving on the second day from Finland to uh, from, so a little port town called Turku, then stopping in Helsinki, which is the capital city, for a quick lunchtime checkpoint. But then our evening arrival would be into St. Petersburg, into Russia. Right. So we were driving across the border from Finland into Russia. And we, for whatever reason, had all the right paperwork done for our car. And luckily, this was only for our crew car, not the actual entrance. The entrance all did really well. I was due to arrive quite late in St. Petersburg, then run the event for the following morning, and then out we go. We'd been set up with some lovely cars by Nissan, I think. Um, And um, whoever was responsible for booking the cars had sorted everything about the cars except the visa from getting them into Russia. So all of us as people had our visas, but we didn't have the visa for the car. So that meant on the second day of the rally, and at this point, you're already on zero hours sleep, absolutely exhausted, standing at the Russian border at what was, I think, started at midnight, probably ended about 3 a.m., Uh, trying to negotiate with the Russian border control, who, of course, don't speak English, and we don't speak very good Russian, as you may be surprised to learn. And, yeah, trying to negotiate your way through that, whilst also making sure that the rest of the event that you've planned and the the event that's running is still going well. Um, So, yeah, there were many kind of really crazy character-building events like that, I'd say. (laughs) Um, I think I remember we were in a WhatsApp group the whole staff and I think I was I wrote to the group like I, I just don't know what to do anymore I've by this point I'd sent half of my events team off in a cab because of course we were able to enter the country just not with the car uh, so yeah we booked a cab uh, from the Russian border with Finland to St Petersburg I can't even I dread to think how much it cost us in the end um, but yeah myself and one other member of my team we ended up having to drive back to Helsinki, get a ferry down to Tallinn in Estonia and then meet the rally as it then came around from there. So loads, just loads of really crazy stuff like that, stuff that should never have happened. But yet those events have definitely kind of shaped yeah, uh, <laughs> shaped my world and the way I look at things. But these are those moments where you go, the house is on fire. Like, yeah, yeah oh, completely. Like, At that point, nothing in the world could have been going worse yeah. for me because I would run this, you know, run, and, and this was the thing, you plan these events for a year in advance, a year of planning, a year of logistics, a, a year of worst-case scenarios, and then you realise, oh, we didn't plan for that. Yeah. And here you are, you're in the thick of it. And yeah, I remember sitting in that WhatsApp group and writing to people like, I think I was crying at one point. I was just so exhausted. You know, your emotions are just completely and utterly all over the place. I was like sat in the car sobbing. And I think at one point I just kind of said to myself, like, what, what are you doing? Like, come on, there has to be a better way around it. And that was it. Yeah, we found the solution and, and off we went. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, pros and cons for sure. I think that same rally, a, a, only a few days later, I was driving with exhibit of uh, Pimp My Ride fame um, to Nice Airport from Monaco, having just watched the Formula One Grand Prix from the rooftop of the Fairmont. Um, so, you know, you go, there's these peaks and troughs of like, I'm having the worst time of my life 12 hours later. I'm having the best time of my yeah, life. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that was Gumball from start to finish for my career. It was the best and the worst thing I've ever done without any shadow of a doubt. So it levels out about a normal job. It completely does. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I wouldn't change anything about it. If I went back, if I was given the opportunity to relive it step by step, I'd do it again. Um, Amazing. 
Yeah, yeah. Many. Well, it's it's currently on now. I think it's just finished. I think. It's just yeah, it's just finished in Miami. Because I I have a very minor connection to Tim Burton. Yes. Me. Yeah, of course. And we're very much at, we've shared like three Instagram messages because yeah we've got a couple of common connections. Mm. And I, I messaged him and I was like, oh, I'll pop down. He's like, yeah, yeah, I'm away for a couple of weeks and then I'm back for about a week. I was like, great. And then I happened to be away for that week. And I got back, he went, I'm going on the gumball. I was like, oh, for Pete's sake, I've, I've known him now technically for about six months. Yeah. And we've just continuously overlapped. But from what I've seen, it looks absolutely mega this year. But even yeah, yeah. from keeping up on social media and things like that, even if you're not organising the event, just being on it, he had a wheel like burst or he did split yeah, or something like on his way to toronto and he managed to get a wheel sorted and a t- yeah. just getting to the event and doing the event as a participant oh absolutely that's is, the bit that everyone forgets yeah is yeah the entry fee will get you from the start line to the finish line but getting to the start line and getting from the finish line that's your own thing so if you li- if you happen to live in miami and the rally ends in miami that year that's great because you just drive home you still have to get to toronto but if to you live in <laughs> Yeah, Azerbaijan, you've got to get you've got to get to the start line in Toronto and then get back to Azerbaijan afterwards. And it's a different route every single year. Because my first year was Copenhagen to Monaco, my second year was Miami to Ibiza, and my third and final was Stockholm to Vegas. So completely different, polar yeah. opposite routes. It's a global trip, isn't it? Yeah, right? absolutely. And they're utterly insane. Like we've I that's how I discovered Shmi, funnily enough, is when mm. he shadowed it in his R eight. Yeah. He wasn't in it, he was just shadowing it and kind of documenting it so to speak but then there was um oh what was the guy in the yellow e46 in america oh yes i forget um, his name he was on the VinWiki. VinWiki, yeah that's right um yeah he crashed it well didn't he oh he 2012 managed to dive into the middle yeah. of that didn't he was that when you were involved no in that was a year before me you, and that's why enough, you got the job then isn't it because you went this, this <laughs> random guy's managed to get his way in when you can take it a bit more seriously i've had a lot of people i did a podcast with sam moore's a week or so ago and um he said something in that podcast like um well you hadn't started working there yet so we were able to get away with this 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 and this and it was kind of like wow you're making me out to be this kind of like really organized militant person yeah, which i'm definitely not met john he's a six foot four skinhead with <laughs> yeah. a massive biceps and you just don't get in I've if you always say so. got a massive sword in my hand yeah no um it's yeah it's it's a funny one to think that i i brought any uh any form of organization to it because for me it was just chaos the whole time but uh, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, but and it's funny you say about Tim. Yeah, you discovered Tim through Gumball. Well, so did I, funnily enough, because he came along. And again, it's a story I shared with Sam. He came along as media, official media, I think for the first time when I was running the 2013 rally. And we had one of the guys in the office who'd said, um, oh, we've got this guy, Tim, coming along on media. So he's got a media ticket. We're paying for his hotels. We're paying for his flights. Um, and I was like, OK, cool. Like, who does he write for? Because again, at this point, I'm starting to dabble in the world of freelance motoring journalism. I'm starting to understand the world of media. And uh, Adil, who was our accountant in the office, he was like, no, 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 he's, he's just got a YouTube channel and he just films cars and follows them around the world. And I'm like, what? That's not, <laughs> that's not a job. That's not a thing. <laughs> like, that's not a thing. Uh, but yeah, then I met Tim on the rally and we got on like a house on fire. Yeah, really, really, really good guy. Nothing like, um, I think many people... Misunderstand that there's yeah. a pers- personality that is on the screen, and then there's yeah, Tim. he's a character. Yeah. Like Tim um, Shmi One Hundred and Fifty that you see on YouTube is very much a character. He's a developed caricature of Tim's true personality. Yeah, and yeah, when you get to know the real Tim in an environment where again you're tr- you're both travelling, you're both exhausted, you're in this bizarre world of unfamiliarity, 
um, yeah, you end up forming these very, very unique bonds, and Tim was definitely one of those. Well, it's it's kind of forged in fire relationships, isn't it? Oh, That's completely. From kind of personal experience, the relationships that really kind of stand the test mm. are the ones that have gone through difficulty. Like, I, I, as we kind of discussed when I came into the Driven Show, I worked in secure psychiatric hospitals, mm. which inherently bring challenging environments. Yeah. And the people that I worked with there, although I don't speak to them all the time, and it's because we all live lives in different mm. directions. But every time we do speak, it's one of those camaraderie immediately comes back. And it's because you've gone through difficulty and adversity Absolutely, and challenge yeah. and you've had no sleep and things are all going chaotically mad and you work together and you pull through together. And that's, yeah. that's what brings people into to real life friendship. That's how it's formed. Yeah. It kind of takes it from this person that you know to a friend. Yeah, that, That's what... What happens? So I think what we really need to do is go and find something challenging so that we can go much closer. <laughs> go find some trauma. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's go and set fires or something and then try and escape. Uh, no, don't do that. That would <laughs> no, be a bad thing don't. to do. But yeah, no, you're right. Absolutely. And, that, and again, this is something I've, I've said time and time again is getting to know people is an interesting subject matter because you can, you know, if you think back to school friends or work colleagues, if perhaps you've got a work colleague that you've known for years and, you know, you have a rough idea about their interests, what they like, when their birthday is, that sort of stuff. But you take that work colleague or put that work colleague to one side and take it, pluck a complete stranger off the street and put that stranger in a car with you and drive for 3,000 miles. You can guarantee that as long as you have a, a similar personality in some sense, that you, you can at least get on with each other. You will know more about that person at the end of a 3,000 mile road trip that might only last five days then you will know about your friend at work that you've known for years or that school friend that you've known for years or your next door neighbor that you've known for years because you end up just you unpeel everything you're in this environment where you're like well we can't get out of the car so let's just talk and you do you end up i i, I find that a lot it's a it's an important factor to consider when choosing a road trip partner because uh, if you don't think you're going to get on well then Christ, don't you put them in the car. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like you're trapped in a box for a few days. You, yeah, you very literally are. Yeah, and it's not for everyone. You know, it's the reason that sometimes friendships and things don't work out. There's always a reason for it. It's uh, yeah, it's it's very much dependent on you being able to do the really exciting things and the really stressful things, and then being able to carry on as normal once it all gets back to normal. Yeah, I uh, I positioned. Uh, not like I positioned it as a podcast idea to any sort of media person or anything like that, but I positioned an idea to a friend of mine who's he's been a, a guest on the podcast, actually, um, Luke from Luden Classics. Mm. His family have a recovery company. Yeah. And one of the facets of that is that they will go to, say, Sardinia to pick up a Dacia duster that's been in a crash and it has to come back to the UK. Yeah. And he inherently spends a lot of time travelling throughout Europe for many hours. Mm. So... The the guy who runs um, the cafe that we started Coffees and Cars at, is, his name's Mike, he's a pal of mine. We were doing a bit of podcasting when we lived four minutes away from each other. Mm-hmm. And I said, you should just employ us to do one of these trips once a month. Yeah. And we'll just record the whole thing, the whole way there. And we'll get a, about 18 different podcast episodes out of it. <laughs> and uh, Luke went, the last thing I'm going to do with you two is give you the keys to one of my trucks <laughs> and send you across into Europe. He went, do you speak any Spanish? I was like... Yeah, a little bit. He went, how do you say, um, can I have the, the car? I go, el coche, por favor. And he was like, oh, you've got me there. And he just kept throwing these different things. I thought, it'd be a really good idea. And then he went, have you ever spent more than four hours in the car with him? I went, no. And he went, the yeah. last thing you want is then four days. Yeah. 
Um, there is nothing worse than finding out you've got a bad passenger or a bad relationship with somebody you're in a car when you're a day into a journey knowing you've got four or five days to go. Because, yeah. <laughs> it, yeah, it's, uh, it is make or break stuff. Choosing a road trip passenger or, or, or companion is it's an art. The Definitely. ability to be able to say everything in the world and just as importantly say nothing. You know, the ability to endure silence and enjoy silence on a road trip is so crucial. Yeah. Uh, because you can't fill 12 hours a day with constant chat. You might be able to comment on the same things that make you laugh or something you see. But, yeah, the ability to just sit there and know that you can sit there in silence and it's not going to be strange or awkward. Yeah, no one's going to feel uncomfortable in that moment. Yeah, definitely. I, uh, I drove to Gibraltar with my dad when he got married to my stepmom. They had the wedding down there. And we had four days in a Porsche to go down which was a great mm. trip and we had those moments where we were just sat there in complete silence nothing on yeah. nothing on the radio because we're a thousand miles into France or whatever and there's nothing around and it was one of those where I was like I'm quite glad that this is someone that I it's my dad yeah I, I'm not with a stranger and I'm just sat here going oh are you okay is, is everything <laughs> alright do you want to get yeah. some sleep and then we got stuck in Madrid in rush hour in 40 degrees and before we left we had this conversation where the, the aircon pump had broke. Mm. And my dad went, oh, it'd be fine. We've got a convertible. We just won't stop. And then you're in Madrid and it's two o'clock in the afternoon in rush hour yeah. traffic and you've still got the roof down. Quite I was warm. like, I'd like some aircon right <laughs> yeah. now. Um, but the, those trips are really kind of fundamental for kind of testing how you get on with another person, mm. which is one that I think everyone should have some experience with at some point. It's not yeah. necessarily like this is the test of your relationship. More of a <laughs> yeah. go on one of these trips because it is a life experience that will stay with you. Like I've done Le Mans three times mm. and I have it very much in my like ticking off list to do Le Mans, Nürburgring 24 and Spa 24 mm. in one year Yeah, because those trips are just amazing. And it's completely, yeah. It's one of those where they're memories that will last and they're things that will form mm. like sturdy foundations to friendships and things like that. And we did trips with people I'd never met before that my dad kind of knew and had interesting cars. Yeah. And then by the end, you've got these stories and these experiences. Yeah. It's, it's, it's such a, a worthwhile thing to do. Mm. I mean, four days on the motorway is quite boring. Yeah. But when you kind of have things happen on the trip, they, they as you quite rightly said, they create these these formative memories. Mm. Um, so we've got, obviously, the German Track podcast. Yeah. We've got the work that you're doing as a freelance journalist. Yeah. How do you find that? Because as someone that has some interest in learning that as a skill, mm. how have you found it? How did you start? And how, how do you kind of... So from the writing side of things? Yeah. As, yeah. as, a, as a freelance motorist, and I asked Alex Goy the same question, he said... Just go and do some, which yeah. is kind of the the thing that I try and do anyway. But how have you found it? How's your personal journey been in that world? Um, I mean, I'm very lucky now because, of course, I pretty much everything that I write goes into the production company that I look after. So that's that's certainly relieves a lot of pressure for me. I, um, as a freelancer, I think that my biggest struggle was always deadlines, times, and things because. To me, writing is such a creative thing. It's no different to painting a picture. It's no different to sculpting. You, you have a, a rough idea of what you want to create and produce. And sometimes it just happens and it's brilliant. And it just, you, you open the laptop and you start typing and it just comes out. 
And other times it takes days. I'm writing an article right now, which I've been writing for three days. It's only about 2,000 words. Yeah. But I just get to a point where I'm like, I have to walk away from it because I'm not happy with it. I'll reread something and I'm not happy with it. Um, yeah, I asked Alex the same question when he came on our podcast and I remember him saying that he found it really hard. And I don't, I don't necessarily know if I'd, if I'd say I find it hard, but I'm definitely, again, it all comes down to the kind of self-criticism side of things. I'm a big critic to my own work. So at the time, a lot of the times, I'll, I'll publish an article and go, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Um, or back in the freelance days, I'd submit an article and I'd be like, oh, they'll probably come back with loads of changes or reject it or ask me to resubmit it next month. And they never did. They always came back and said, oh, it's actually great. Really yeah. enjoyed it. And then I'll read it. Again, it goes back to that kind of stepping back from the canvas. I'll read it a month or so later. And I still do it with mine. I, I, I go back occasionally, look at old articles I've written and go, oh, actually, what was I worried about? That was, that's fine. So it's an interesting one because I'm, I'm, I, I certainly wouldn't class myself as a, a professional journalist or writer. And I think if I found myself, if a magazine or a column phoned up and said, uh, do you want a weekly column in our magazine? I'd probably really think about if I wanted to do it because the for me personally, uh, and this is only a very personal thing, it, it's it's sometimes I think when I've given myself a deadline to do something like that, I, I then struggle with it. And I think it's just putting myself under too much pressure. But maybe it'll improve with more time and, and reflecting on, on more work. Um, but yeah, from the point of view of like getting into it and, and, and getting started, Alex is spot on. Write, write yeah. and write and write and write. Even if it goes nowhere, if, even if it never leaves your laptop, write about an experience, write about a day out. Um, but the other big one is read. You know, for me, I think like 99.9% of people that end up writing in the car world, they look at a select few writers and go, oh my God, that's brilliant. I want to do that. Um, so for me, like many others, it was Clarkson. Yeah. Because for me, I think Jeremy Clarkson is a very entertaining um, television personality. I think he's, he's, he's very funny. Um, but the best thing about Clarkson is his ability to write. Nobody in the world has made me laugh more than Jeremy Clarkson has in written form. You know, a certain thing, the ability to captivate and uh, encapsulate emotion in writing, for me, is such a skill. Yeah. And for me, the hardest thing to do is to make people laugh in, in written form uh, because you've got to kind of identify with that person's personality, their way of thinking, both in the way that you write, but also in the way that you read. Um, so for me, it was, yeah, looking at people like Clarkson's work and going, and Porter, actually, Richard Porter, looking at both of their work and going, oh, my God, like you can actually be a very entertaining, captivating person when talking about something very mundane like a car. Um, and that's what inspired me to get started. So, yeah, read, read the people's work that you love. Never try to copy it. Never yeah. try to be the person that you're, uh, that's inspired you because you won't be that person. The, pe the reason they're so good at what they do is because it's them. Um, but, yeah, just like every, every aspect of, of the world in which we work, really, I'd say just, just have a go at things that you want to, want to do professionally. And chances are, if it's right for you, firstly, you'll realise you're either very good at it or more importantly, and certainly initially, is you really enjoy doing it. And if you really enjoy doing it and looking back on what you've created and go, oh, that's quite good, I'm quite happy with that, then you're already on the right track. Yeah, 100%. I think that's, that's really inspirational. And it is, it's really kind of uplifting for people that might be kind of not sure how to get going. Mm. Like me, for example, I, the only written work that I really do is for the Tacoma stuff, like yeah. the blog and things like that. 
And every so often I'll come up with an idea that might have some kind of application outside of my own little bubble. Mm -hmm. And I am very, very bad at doing those things and putting mm. them onto any sort of physical space. Like just this afternoon, I was like, oh, I should write this thing mm. about this. And then I'm always like, yeah, I'll do that tomorrow. And yeah, yeah. And I've probably got a list on my phone of about seven different things that I've, oh yeah, I'll write that. And then never yeah, have. Yeah. And for anybody that's kind of like, actually, I really enjoy writing and I have the passion for it and I have mm. the, the capacity to kind of actually do it rather than just being like, yeah. this would be a great idea. It's really reassuring, again, to go, well, keep trying, get some practice in, find the things that you enjoy within that world. Mm. And then similarly with like the events and just being within the automotive world, having a go is normally enough of a start to, A, test the water in whether you will enjoy it as a profession or a career. Because yeah. there's a big difference between enjoying something as a hobby and enjoying it as a profession, because you you run the risk of ruining something that's oh, a hobby. Absolutely right. Like yeah. I, I, as I say, I don't do Tacona full time, and I'm at a point currently where I'm like, right, I'd like to try and get into maybe PR, marketing, that kind of thing. Mm. But I'm very conscious not to go to the likes of say BMW or Toyota and go, can I come and do some marketing work for you? Because yeah. I don't want to spoil my passion for cars and mm. what I do with Tacona by jumping into it as a job. Yeah. And it's that kind of like, have that, be conscious about that. Maybe try and do it in a professional sense that isn't directly your passion. Mm. And if you find that professionally you quite enjoy it, then you can go, right, let's have a look if this will work yeah. within my passion sphere. But I think you're right, the key is just to have a go. It absolutely is. Yeah, it's to have a go and network. This is the other thing. We're so lucky in the automotive space. And I guess, you know, I, I speak exclusively for the automotive space because it's the only one I really know. But... Um, the automotive world, I love it so much because it's a passion-led industry. We're all in this world of cars because we love cars for the same reason that we, we all don't drive around in Nissan Micros. We're here because we love it. And that translates through to every single role in the automotive world, from the CEO of Bugatti to somebody that's fitting tyres at QuickFit. Chances are they're in that world because they like cars. Yeah. And... That is such a crucial thing to remember as somebody that is starting out in the world of automotive is that everybody else in this world also likes cars and they might like different cars to you. They might like motorbikes, whereas you don't like motorbikes. They might like Ferraris where well, you hate Ferraris. It doesn't matter because you all like this concept of metal box, wheels, engine, electric motor, whatever it is that propels it. And that's what's exciting. And that is the biggest door opener to any scenario that you want to get into so if you're a, an aspiring motoring writer the greatest thing about this is the fact that you can reach out to the editor now of autocar or evo or any of the big magazines via social media via twitter or if you're very lucky you might go to an event you might bump into somebody i can guarantee you if you walk up to henry catchpole at a goodwood revival event and go hi henry i won't stop you for long but I'm an aspiring writer. Do you mind if I send you some work? They'll say yes. I have tangible evidence of that. Yeah. Like, I have a piece that I wrote that is on Evo's website. There you go. And that is purely off the back of Henry Catchpole followed me on Twitter at the time I was writing it, and I said, can I just send you this just to have a look at it? Yep. Just, would you mind? I, I'm just trying to write this thing. It'll probably just go on my website, but it'd be really, really nice to get some proper eyes on it. Mm -hmm. And he had a look at it. He went, looks really good maybe make a couple of little tweaks 
I'll tell you what, I'll send it to Evo. And it ended up on Evo's website. There you go. And that's my like first ever attempt at doing any sort of proper writing mm. and going, I'll just, it can't hurt to ask. The worst you get is a no, nobody's going to die. That's it. And exactly as you said, it got read, it went to a place because the passion is there. Yeah. And I timed it quite nicely that we were in lockdown and it was about mental health in lockdown and it Brilliant. was appropriate. Yeah. But they are passionate people. Like, the fact that this is happening today is because we have a shared passion. Exactly, yeah. It's not yeah. because we're like, what can I get out of it? Yeah. What business sense does this conversation make? Yeah. What promotion is it going to be for for what you're doing, what I'm doing? It's not about that. It's about, like, to have a chat, talk cars, mm. and share our passion with other people. Yeah. It's the reason I've done every single job professionally. Everything I've ever got paid to do in this world of cars, I'm here because I've shown an interest in cars. Yeah. It's as simple as that. Yeah, and the, the car world is three degrees of separation. It's not six. There's Oh, God. I, I mean, some would say two. Yeah. I think Phil, uh, good friend Phil uh, McGovern at Caffeine and Machine, I think he, he firmly believes it's two degrees of separation between everyone in the automotive world. And I think he's probably right. Yeah. Because yeah. you know somebody and that person will know somebody else. And yeah, from the far stretches of, yeah, the tyre fitter at QuickFit to... CEO of Bugatti, there's going to be really a lot less of a connection than you'd believe. I feel like this is a game waiting to happen on some sort of radio show. Maybe you know <laughs> some that could try it. Um, but it, it really is like, let's take the CEO of Bugatti, who yeah. is now Mate Rimac. Yeah. He knows Johnny Smith from yeah. Fifth Gear. Yes. I know Johnny Smith from Fifth Gear. There you go, see? We're already there. Yep, you're two degrees. Two degrees. <laughs> in, in this one analogy. Yeah. And... We could probably go to JK from Jamiroquai. Yeah. I know someone who's a friend of his. Yeah. We got so introduced yeah. at um, Bista Heritage. There you go. The same day that we met at Bista Heritage as well, actually. There you go. See. And that is the cult. That's kind of the reason that Tacona exists. Yeah. Originally, it was the idea kind of started when I was working in business. And if I got talking with someone in a business meeting and cars came up, mm. it would lubricate the conversation because that passion runs deep. Yeah, of course. So the, the original idea was, let's create like, business attire, shirts that have got mm. like a livery running through. Similar to what um, Amalogato does with watches, but mm-hmm. I didn't know that existed at the time. Um, and then from there, it's transformed into what it is. Oh, if we mm. can use these connections in that sense, we can use them to bring people together, get people talking. Yeah. All that sort of lovely stuff that the, the whole brand is now designed around. But it was that, as you say cars the passion of cars brings people together Mm. in a way that nothing else on the planet does yeah i I guess maybe airplanes and helicopters if you live in that sphere or that sort of stuff but football inherently you have to be following the same team yes exactly for it to connect you if you don't your enemies divides (laughs) whereas cars i can drive a toyota and you can drive a bmw Mm. And we love cars. We don't care that yours is German and mine's Japanese. It no, exactly. Although that. technically that, yours is kind of Japanese. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's actually, it's actually American. If you're going to get super geeky about it, because it was built in America, then shipped to Japan. Anyway, yeah. but yeah, no, you're so right. And that's the wonderful thing about Caffeine the Machine. It's the one thing we often um, regard is the fact that, yeah, you can turn up in a Vauxhall Nova and somebody else could turn up in an 812 Superfast Ferrari. And the, eight, the guy driving the 812 might have had a Vauxhall Nova as his first car. Yeah. And the guy driving the Nova might be applying for an apprenticeship with Ferrari. And it's like, you know, these links come together and it doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, how much money you got in the bank or what you drive. The, the fact is you like cars and therefore that's it. That's all you need to get that conversation started. Yeah, I think I've had more interesting experiences 
that would not have happened without cars. Oh, God, yeah. And I, yeah. I appreciate that I kind of put myself in the position for those to happen by being yeah. in the car world. But when I was what, 18, I had an old Mini, mm. and I was an accountant. Nothing to do with cars at all. Mm. And I went to the car park on my lunch break, unlocked my car, and there was a brand new GT3 RS bar next to me. Nice. And the guy in the GT3 RS put his window down and went, oh, I love your car, <laughs> and now I've got a new friend. And that's how it works. That's yeah. purely. I was in an 850 quid Mini, mm. he was in a 150 grand Porsche, yeah. and we connected over cars. Yeah, yeah. And there was no pretentiousness, there was no... I'm better than you. There's no I drive a Porsche, therefore I don't need to speak to you as a person. Yeah. Although Porsche drivers kind of are on the borderline sometimes with that, <laughs> because not every Porsche driver is a car guy. If that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. They have a bit, there yeah. are some certain cars that have a bit of a status symbol connected True. to them, and that True. is probably the weakest part of the car world is that some of yeah. them are a status symbol. But then you you take in the tail end of 2020, maybe 2021, I turned up at. Tax the Riches garage. Oh, yeah. To see his McLaren P1 GTR mm. in my Toyota, which was worth about 1% of the value <laughs> of this P1 GTR. And immediately he's like, I love your car. Yeah. And these connections all happen because of this passion that runs deep. It's the wallets change size, but the, the passion is. The passion's always there. There's, there's a brilliant, um, like a, it's like a meme um, of a kid. I think it's it's like a bit of text over a picture that, with a little toddler looking at a car and it's something like, I'm often asked, why do I always rev my car or, or do something to engage the child when they see a car? And the answer is, well, because I was once that child. Yeah. And it's so true. You know, I, I can so vividly remember being, you know, holding my dad's hand, walking down the road as a five or six year old and seeing certain cars. I have a very, very vivid memory and I, I'm trying to think how old I, I was probably six or seven. And I remember saying to there was a, uh, I was with my dad. We were in a certain part of London where we lived and we were waiting to cross the road. And as we were waiting to cross the road, a Ducati monster, which I think was in the first iteration of it, pulled up and was like ticking over, clattering away as they do at the traffic lights. And I became obsessed with this shiny red monster. And I remember asking my dad, like, what's that motorbike called? Because I hadn't seen, I, do, I couldn't recognise the badge. And he said, oh, well, that's a Ducati. That's like the Ferrari of bikes. Yeah. And that just stuck in my head. And the day that I went to pick up my very own Ducati Monster from Ducati Croydon, my dad came along, funnily enough, and he said, um, he said, oh, do you know, do you need a lift to go and pick it up? Which, of course, I didn't. But yes, of course, I was going to say yes. So dad and I are suddenly there. And I had this brilliant, this initial moment of realisation of like, oh, unbeknowing to me, like dad doesn't ride motorbikes at all. He never has. But unbeknown to dad and perhaps unbeknown to me at the time, the seed for me purchasing that motorbike from Ducati Croydon happened when I was six years old. Yeah, it yeah. just so happened that dad was there and he was able to identify that's the Ferrari of bikes, which, of course, painted this glorious, exciting picture in my head. And then there I am buying it. And then I remember then a week or so later going out on my new shiny Ducati, which I was absolutely elated and excited about, and pulled up. And it was like this weird kind of spiritual cliche world where I pulled up at a set of traffic lights, looked to my left, and there's a little boy talking to his dad about my bike. And I don't know what they were saying, because obviously I had a crash helmet on and the bike's ticking over. But it was like this, oh my God, it might be happening again. You know, this little boy was excited to see the bike. The dad was excited to be kind of talking to his son about it. And yeah, it was just like, I get so excited by that. And I always think 
that it's so important that we remember these crucial memories for us as kids because we have the ability to turn on a light bulb for someone else. And not only is that for kids and toddlers and excitable teenagers, but also for anyone else in this industry. This is why I get so passionate and excited about people that come forward to me and ask for advice or some tips or anything in this world, because I was there as well once. You know, I wasn't just that excited toddler. I was the excited 23-year-old that didn't know where to start or didn't know how to change. And I speak to people that are older than me that have had a mundane, non-automotive-related day job their whole life, and they ask and, and, and talk about how they love to do a bit more work in the automotive sector. And it excites me just as much talking to them as it does talking to the young people. That's amazing. And I think everybody has one of those stories of yeah. this car, this happened, or my dad had one of those, or mm. I saw one of these, and this and I, uh, I'm very aware of how visible my car is mm. because of all the stickers, basically. Yeah. Right? And it's... It's, it does its intended purpose and it draws the eye. And I had a moment recently where I was going through, I was on my way to Wimbledon through the back end of Brentford mm. and there was a little boy with his mum stood at the traffic lights and I looked out the window and he was pointing. So I yeah. revved. Yeah. And this little kid's face just lit up. Yeah. And his mum wasn't too impressed, but that's by <laughs> the by. But it's one of those moments where that kid will probably remember that It's moment. a core memory. For, for sure, it's a core memory for him. And yeah. if I was in a Ferrari, I'd have done exactly the same. Completely and utterly. And that, they're the moments that they make the interesting cars again mm. more worthwhile because they're not just bringing you joy, they're bringing the people around you joy. Yeah, completely. I think I've probably had more people come up to me and talk about cars since I got that Renault than they ever have really, with the 86. Yeah. Because there's so many people that go, oh, I had one of those, or my mum had one of those. Yeah. And I've got a photo of Richard Rawlings from Gas Monkey Garage stood in front of it. Brilliant. And he had no idea what it was. <laughs> but I posted this photo and... It got so many people like, oh my God, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Because there's so many people that are connected to one another through this this car. Yeah. And um, it's it's really what keeps the car world going is mm. this love and this passion. And because as you say, fundamentally, it's just a piece of transport. Yeah, it's a box of metal with yeah. an engine in it and some wheels that go around. And it's, yeah, it is a, a functional thing that does a job, but yet we have somehow created them. I don't know. I, I mean, I'd love to explore the psychology of it someday, but you know, what is it that ignites us as, as people? Because, again, it doesn't work for everybody. You know, you could park a SF90 Ferrari in front of a crowd of 100 people and 50 of them might say, oh, look, a Ferrari. 25 of them might know exactly what it is. 10 might get absolutely elated and excited and the rest might go, who cares? Yeah, yeah. You've so got it's too much money, mate. Like, yeah, that's probably yeah. what their response. Yeah, will be. and it, you know, I, I'd love to understand you know, where it's rooted from, but there has to be something, and I see it in guys and girls equally that there's there's clearly something that happens that ignites this spark and turns on this light bulb in us that goes, oh, yes, yeah. I want to have that. I want to I want to be involved in that rather than the run of the mill. And it's it's crazy to think that it's just a machine. It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Nuts bits, and bolts. Bits of metal and yeah. some leather and some wheels. And they're so interesting. And so many people have such a deep passion for Yeah, it. completely. And are willing to spend millions and millions and millions. Yeah, that um, the Mercedes... Um, <laughs> the SLR. Yeah, the SLR. 153 million euros. Like, 
that's a lot of money. <laughs> You've got to really like us to spend that, but yet and they, people do. They've not do. bought that because it's going to set up this foundation. They've bought it because of what car is. Because they want the car. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. But then it's all scalable. You know, I, I laugh at my friends when they, you know, my non-car friends, and I do have a few who are kind of like, well, why do you spend so much money on cars? Or, or you know, why why do you spend 500 quid on a set of brake pads? And I'm like... Well, because I want to. And they, but you can scale the argument back, you know, why do you buy bottles of water when you've got a tap? We do, yeah, because yeah. we want to. You know, we choose. We want to drink a bottle of Evian over a, over some tap water. And it scales all the way up to cars. Yeah, we, we choose to put premium fuel in our car because we know that's going to be better for it. And we know it's going to cost a little bit more, but that's what we do. And the petrol cap says so. <laughs> and the petrol cap says so, yeah, yeah. It's and quite a crucial one at the moment. E10 yeah. that yeah. you can't put in a car older than five years old. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we've been chatting for an hour and a quarter, believe it or not. Haven't we? Goodness me. And that, that's the fun part of these, yeah. because they're so casual. Yeah. You can just chat. And you yeah. don't have to think about, oh, it's been 45 minutes. Yeah, yeah. Steve's coming on to do the next show in a minute. <laughs> it's just you and I sat chatting. It is half five, though, and I do appreciate that you are a working man. Oh, I'm all right, yeah. Um, yeah. What time do you need to get to? I probably need to get off the caffeine machine. Yeah. And yeah. my resident psychologist... It's probably about finished with that book that she just started because <laughs> she reads ridiculously quickly. Um, she likes to tell everyone she's director of well-being. I like though, that. Uh, Tacona isn't a company with <laughs> directors. It's just me. <laughs> um, but it's, it's nice. And again, the, the, the car passion thing, if we take my lovely other half as an example, mm. doesn't care about cars or didn't care no, about cars. No, nor mine. Until couldn't, she couldn't met care me. less. Yeah. And then... Oh, I haven't got there yet. Oh, she wants an RS6 now. I've, oh, really? I've won. I've completely won. She wants an RS6. I, I win. Um, but she is now, because of the passion that I have for cars, mm. and because of what I do and how involved I am, it's starting to sow the seeds. Yeah, yeah. So we'll go to a car event, and she's like, oh, that's a... She really knows what an F-type is. She's really got that one nailed. Good taste. Oh, that's yeah. an F-type. And yesterday we, were, we went up. We went from Southampton to Wimbledon mm. and we passed probably 70 Porsches going to Bewley. Yeah. And yeah. we were just basically trying to spot Porsches fastest. <laughs> and someone that doesn't care about cars to then be like, that's a Porsche, there's a Porsche, mm. there's a Porsche. It's really nice to see that passion start to grow. Yeah, it is. And when we have kids, it's going to be an absolute bloody nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be, oh, what's that car? What's that car? What's that car? <laughs> just promise me you won't name them car names as children. Yeah, I think there's probably <laughs> three that you can kind of get away with. There's yes. Like Jensen, Merlin. Oh, Merlin, that's a good one. Yeah. Uh, there's probably Mini, another. maybe, but it's quite, yeah. Austin, maybe. Austin. You could probably get away with called them. Austin, actually. Yeah. So, yeah that, I, we'll, have to, we'll have to grant that one. They're, they're close enough yeah. to not necessarily be car names yeah, that's that true. you can get away with them. That's true. But like calling a kid like Porsche, which in America is an actual name for a... a girl yeah it is it's yeah it's coming um, over there but it's a little bit of a, a cliche yeah um but so's most of the things in the world these Indeed. days so you, you never know where it's going to go um but john it's been an absolute pleasure thank you and it's been a pleasure i really do appreciate you spending the time to sit with me and Good share time. some of the stories and share some of your passion yeah and put up with my inability to host as well as you do Oh, don't be silly. <laughs> We're all making it up as we go along. It's fine. We've come full circle. Let's <laughs> all pretend. We'll just keep going <laughs> yeah, until yeah. someone tells us, you're not meant to be here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, I don't know if you realise, but this is, yeah, you're not supposed to be in here. You're supposed to be an accountant. Get back over there. <laughs> yeah. Put numbers in spreadsheets. Yeah. Um, no, genuinely do appreciate it. And uh, I hope 
bump into you again soon. You will do. Seeing as we now live relatively close. We do. Um, well, thank you. I'm going to stop recording there. Awesome. Almost bang on an hour. Thank you.